0: This is Get A Real Job, the podcast devoted to people who choose risk over safe bets, who pursue their passion against all odds and are doing what they want, how they want, despite people and sometimes the voices in their own heads telling them they're nuts.
1: When the field that I wanted to work in didn't exist, I created it.
0: The only thing you have to
1: decide is how hard you want to work.
0: I really never went into the design of the restaurant of not succeeding. One way or another, I was going to succeed. I'm your host, Dan Bova, editorial director of entrepreneur.com. Thanks for listening. And now, get a real job. Today's guest has produced movies starring some of the biggest stars on the planet. Tom Cruise, Jack Black, and Natalie Portman, just to name a few. His upcoming movie, Thelma, will star Kathy Bates and John Malkovich. he has got a new series, Champagne Supernovas, will be on AMC. And uh, oh right, he also has the international distribution rights to over 2,000 movies. Let's see if he'll purchase and distribute the video I just made of my dog chasing a squirrel and running face first into a garbage can. Welcome, super producer Johnny Lynn. Johnny, how are you?
1: Not sure about super, but I am a producer. Thank you.
0: Uh, (laughs) Well, why don't we jump right in there? Uh, A lot of us, obviously, we watch a lot of movies and TV shows. We see that title, executive producer, all the time. What is an executive producer? In my capacity,
1: uh, executive producing, it was investment related. So usually when you EP a project, you either brought an element or you brought money. So in our capacity, my executive producing credits
0: was through investment. Okay. So how did how do you how you get on that path? How did how did you get into this world? Um, my father,
1: when he was alive, he was a pretty prolific distributor and producer from Taiwan. Um, you know, I grew up in New Zealand. When I came to the States, he said, instead of getting in trouble, why don't you intern for me? Start reading scripts, going to film conventions, and buy movies. So I started that way in the 90s as a teenager. And that's how I got into distribution first. But as I started reading scripts, I started falling in love with the you know aspect of making uh, movies.
0: So when you are raising money or get, getting investment for these movies, so what's that process like? Does it start with you know, hey, this is something that's got Tom Cruise in it. Like, how, how do you how do you approach that?
1: Well, you, it, it's almost, you never really have a chance to invest in a movie in Tom Cruise. It just happened that someone I was working with ended up with, you know, the rights to produce the movie. So he extended the offer to us and we were able to participate. Um, really, it's through a network of um, uh, material sourcing it could be from agents, managers. In my um, specific scenario, a lot of it came from sales companies. So, mm. you know, international sales company would come to um, distributors and say, you know, we have so and so in the picture. Would you invest to buy the rights for your territory? And a lot of the times, their opportunity to negotiate not just the distribution rights, but investment into whether. They call it closing costs, uh, mezzanine financing, or equity.
0: And is the is your side of the producing world as uh, have any as as have as many ups and downs and twists and turns as we see in movies that talk about you know behind the scenes of producing? Is there a lot of craziness going on?
1: Yeah, um, there's different types of craziness. It's you never. You almost never get what you think you're going to get.
0: Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When you invest in the film, you you picture, I read the script this way, the movie's going to come out that way. Okay. Even even if it does, it may not be released the way you think it would because you're always depending on the next person to do their job. Right. Now, specific incidents is we finance, invest in the film, the movie ends up in a studio and studio may have a different idea on how how to release the film. And and there's always that push and pull. So can
0: you, can you talk a little bit about the, you know, distribution, the world of distribution? Obviously it's probably changed quite a bit significantly in the, in the past couple of years with the rise of streaming. How does that affect what you do?
1: It affects a lot because our business started as a distribution company is mainly relying on the theatrical release to drive the revenue for all of the ancillary releases, which will be streaming, you know, back in the day, DVD, cable, and whatnot. And they call it free TV, of course. It's uh, a free distribution for the the regular networks. Um, If the movie doesn't go theatrical, the value technically it's being hindered in the ancillary market because, you know, Companies like Netflix, Amazon, they'll never disclose to you what the viewership is. So you sort of have to guess and go by what a, what a publication is. So we don't know, you know what, what kind of driver for the value once it goes into a streaming service. And now as a distributor, you can't release really, theatrically. You really only have a streaming servers locally or um, a pay-per-view sort of download. So when that happens, the, the upside is literally gone.
0: So and so, what do you, what what what's what's the future of your business look like for you uh, as you kind of navigate this world?
1: Well, I sort of transition into producing. Mm. Um, so between producing and distribution, we still do some distribution in China. Should China open back up again, you know that venue could you know bring opportunities to bring good products, and we think at the same time we should bring Chinese films into the American market. Right. So, you know, there, were, there are a lot of Korean-made TV and also um, theatrical that were, that were really successful. We think the Chinese product can do the same. I think that may be a way to cross-pollinate be- be- between the two countries and have China open up the market more to U.S. production.
0: So what, what's your um, role in this uh, champagne supernovas? H- how are you uh, working on that?
1: So I came across the book something like, I think, five years ago. So I read the book. It was amazing. I just thought, how come nobody ever told this story? So we went after the acquiring the book rights, and shortly after, uh, AMC reached out. And they said, we have an amazing show around. And then Roland Jones, um, Perry Mason, and also Weeds, Friday Night Lights. I sat down with Roland. Within five minutes, I knew he was the right guy. So he has it. It's so between- what
0: what is that just for people who uh, aren't uh, familiar with the book? What's it, what's it about? It's basically the story I should, I should say it's the convergence of
1: rock and roll drugs and fashion in the nineties. So Mm. you had the the story behind Mark Jacobs, uh, Alexander McQueen, and also Kate Moss. So it's these three lives intertwined in New York, London, a little bit of LA. So all of the, you know, the characters behind the, the fashion scene, the, you know, the rock and
0: roll scene in New York. So you, you pick up this, can, can you explain this process a little bit? So you, you pick up this book, you start reading it and you're like, oh my God, this, this could be great. And so what do you do? What's, what's your first step? Who who do you call?
1: Well, you first try to contact the author, right? So usually the author have, have their reps. Um, so we contact the reps and it just turns out the rights were, were available. And you basically have to convince the author, and you have the ability to transform their artwork into a moving picture. So, so
0: yeah. So, what did? How would you do that? We convinced
1: them. So <laughs> we we gave, we gave them the vision. Um, well, uh, in this case, Maureen Callahan, the writer, she's really smart. She works at New York Post. Um, we let her know what was the uh, the idea of the of the show and how we should portray it, and she. She sort of was a little bit curious, but then eventually, you know, said, "Yeah, I would like to try it."
0: That's cool. That's it that sounds awesome. I, I I too was a fashionista in the nineteen nineties, as you can probably tell from my uh, crappy green t shirt that I'm wearing right now. Um, so, uh, and and this movie Thelma. So, uh, how how does that process differ from this TV show?
1: Um, not. Exactly the way TV are made. But we actually was we were reading um a sample script from this writer Andy Ferrodi, who wrote Thelma. Uh, and the original title is Confederacy of Thelma. So Thalma is basically the mother who who um whose son wrote the book Confederacy of dunces
0: mm. So
1: Ken Tu, who ended up committing suicide. I we. I wasn't interested in the story per se. I was reading Andy's work for another project we wanted to commission him to write. And when I read the script, I was blown away. I was, this is amazing. This is like, um, this could be a new version of um, Three Billboards. It's it's not the same movie, but I right. just have a feeling is, there's this great character. You know, mm-hmm. how has played her? So, you know, we optioned the script and I started pitching to different directors and eventually got... Uh, what we have today.
0: So, what's your uh, what's your what's your favorite part of all this process? Are you do you do you love the the fight to get something made? Uh, is it the finally watching the end product? Is there a, a best part for you? There's two
1: parts for me. The first part is when you sit down with you know a table of talents, mainly the director and the writer. And you can finish each other's sentences
0: mm.
1: when you create that script. That is really, really satisfying. And where yeah. we mutually validate each other's creative license, and it's, it's a collaboration. So, you know, the good ones usually don't steal the script and say, that's mine. Mm. So it's, it's like everybody's, you know, pitching in for the same vision. Right. So we, we're willing to sacrifice. It's not about the money anymore. When that comes on board, I enjoy it. So it's not really like, oh, you know what? I need to get X amount to do this much work. It's really like, we love this. Let's do it. The second part is you have composed this ensemble. Now you have to get it made. Yeah. (laughs) So so that's the second hurdle. You know, financing comes in the fallout. When financing gets all together, the studio may say, oh, we don't want this movie right now. And it just comes into what they call a development hell. So you really don't want everything to be together. And then nobody says, yes, we'll
0: release the film. Right, right, it's
1: right. Sort of, sort of the two-part hurdle you had to.
0: So are you, is it in your line of work? Are there other are emergency calls like every five seconds? Are, you, are things like, do they get crazy sometimes?
1: I had this... <laughs> Unfortunately, on my first film, which was The um, the Amazing Hesher with Natalie Portland mm-hmm. and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, everything went great between the cast and the director. The problem was the producers that first put the project together, which wasn't me, I was put on the project by uh, the director's lawyer, who was also my lawyer. Um, and I'm a big fan of uh, Natalie. So, you know, we brought in the funding. Problem was the other set of producers, accepted, you know, a a deal which uh, will bring in more financing. But the criteria was for us to release part of our financing to get the rest, which we thought that sounds like a scam to us. Okay. (laughs) So we didn't do it. They agreed to release someone else's portion of deposit that turned out to be fraud. So (laughs) that's the fire we had to keep on putting out. Money went missing and we had to sort of stay, um, you know, on budget, we couldn't. They had to get bridge loans. The budget stopped blowing up, you know, 20 percent, 30 percent eventually doubled the original budget. Um, I don't know how we got the film made. But it did. <laughs> so it's, it's crazy. Um,
0: that was right before Black Swarm. Wow, wow. More coming up from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Get a Real Job is presented by State Farm. Being a small business owner can be so fulfilling, rewarding, and, let's be honest, a little scary from time to time. Doing your own thing and being your own boss is great, but sometimes it can make you feel like you're all alone, especially when things aren't going so great. Well, the folks at State Farm want you to know you aren't alone. State Farm has thousands of agents who are small business owners, too, so they know what it takes to protect everything you work so hard for. State Farm has an assortment of insurance policies for small businesses that can be tailored to your needs. So whether you're a hairstylist, an electrician, or a florist, State Farm agents are ready to help. Learn more and find an agent today at statefarm.com slash smallbusiness. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And our next sponsor... By now, you've probably heard all about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. You might even already be investing in them. But did you know you can invest in cryptocurrencies through your retirement account? That's right. With iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies from a crypto IRA and get all the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA iTrust Capital allows you to invest in over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day. The iTrust Capital platform is easy to use and it only takes a few minutes to create your account. Setting up an IRA is free and iTrust fees are low. It's time to start taking control of your financial future. With iTrust Capital, you can get all the tax benefits of a retirement account while investing in crypto. Visit itrust.capital slash G-A-R-J to start investing today. That's itrust.capital slash G-A-R-J. Taxes and conditions may apply. Fees apply. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. Itrust Capital, Inc. does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional and we're back so do you when you when you watch that when you watch the finished product do you have like heart palpitations like do you, do you get a flood of a, a ptsd of like what it took to get that thing made i actually feel relieved when i watched yeah. it i feel okay.
1: good you know i felt oh wow you know i at least what i read is what
0: has been delivered on screen i'm happy yeah so,
1: yeah and spencer the director he he did an amazing job
0: So, you know, in terms of that, so you, when we were talking initially, you know, it was a lot about uh, uh, financing and investment. So how do you kind of balance the financial needs with the creative needs of a movie? Uh, I'm sure you, the directors and the actors sometimes want things that are just not feasible. So how, how do you juggle that?
1: I think you basically have to look at which director you hire from the start. Mm. and I'm not naming names, but if, you, if you're looking at someone who is doing Avengers, you do not want them to do a dramedy. Right. So right. That's sort of the idea. Um, we, we usually look at directors that, that are good with a feasible budget to the nature of the script. If you're getting someone who is used to the higher budget, who's used to the studio, quote unquote, treatment, it's going to be a little difficult to do some of the, uh, you know, the small independent Academy type of films. Right. But vice versa is true. If you get someone who's used to Sundance films, it's going to take him a little bit to get to the big budget, you know, studio blockbuster type of uh, commercial titles.
0: And have you, have you uh, mastered or gotten close to mastering the art of like negotiating the, the the push and pull that goes on in a creative, de- uh, endeavor, you know, managing, I'm told there's some egos, uh, in the, in the Hollywood world every once in a while, uh, you know, dealing with, with egos and with, uh, clashes in the vision of something. And also obviously the, the money behind it. What's, what's your, what's your style of kind of trying to negotiate through all that?
1: Well, um, literal negotiations in distribution world, I actually enjoy it mm. uh, because you, you're always dealing with the same sales company. These people I have known over 20 years Okay, so have that relationship. It's, it's basically, hey, you know, I have King's speech or I have Hunger Games. What would you pay for your territory? It's not really much of a conversation because it's a long term business. It's not zero in sum. They want you to come back for more. Right. It's producing? To be honest, I leave this to my attorney. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I am not set up for for the grueling, the, the grind. It's it's tough. Right. People fight for every penny, every cent, and we have to fight for the director and also sometimes for the cast. It's it's some. It's it's much more than a producer can handle.
0: So when you mentioned like the the Hunger Games, uh, the the distribution, right? So, you know, what, what is what is that? What's that like? What's that negotiation like? Do you start with a huge number and they start at a low number and you meet in the middle? Like how, how does it go, or or is everybody pretty reasonable about it? I'm I'm pretty friendly with the team, so
1: um, it's funny how I did it. Was I got a text message? Hunger Games is ours, as you know, it's coming. And this is right before, I believe, uh, Toronto Film Festival. And then the text message says something like, would you rather just have a good drink with us you know, in, in, in Toronto and we close this before the market start? So this is our bottom line. What do you think? And I realized it's Hunger Games. Yeah. It's something that I would pay a lot to close.
0: Right, right. I
1: looked at it. I just whether I I asked my partner. Look, it, it's a take or not take. It's not a negotiation because you don't want to negotiate with someone who has got a movie, you know, that you really want. Right. My partner says that's that's great. Go for it. So we just took it.
0: And uh, uh, I'm gonna guess it worked out for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> quite well. Quite well. <laughs> that's awesome. So do you um. What what do you, what do you think of, you know, you've been, you've been at this for a little while, like people like just coming up in this world now, like how, how has things changed from what you experience? And I guess, what's your advice to people who are interested in getting into this kind of line of work?
1: Well, ironically, you talked about ego, right? So I think the most important thing, especially on a creative side is, um, my lawyer says this all the time when you sign on to a certain talent and he works, you know, they represent mostly talents. This is why you sort of signing on their vision. Your job is to make sure you bring out the best of their vision Mm -hmm. and also give your input to a certain extent. But remember, you are not a director. You're not the writer. You are the person that put them together. So if you come in with that mentality to say, I'm here to surf, to bring out the best vision of you guys. And I think that would be that, that would be the advice that people should take. That, um, that's a great. A lot of times I, I read amazing scripts that's never made. It's because the producers or whichever right holder, at, at times it could be the director themselves. They held on to their vision so hard they wouldn't let go. They wouldn't incorporate other people's uh, ideas and, 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 you know, mm. and good movies are never made.
0: And uh, how do you? It, it, you know you 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 started off interning, I think you said, or or as assistant. Like, is that still the way to go? Uh, is that that learn from the bottom and work your way up? I think so. You know, if you if you go
1: intern for someone who's really capable, who has an amazing network, um, it's the network that really counts. Right, uh, right. By knowing to, to how to do something without a network is sort of. Having the fork without a knife, so you know you 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 can't cut the steak that way, right? So <laughs> right, I think right. you know it, it's both. You need someone that really knows how to how to execute, not just have an idea, but also you know, income a great network.
0: That's great. That's that that's awesome advice. Um, so when should we be on the lookout for for Thelma and Champagne supernovas?
1: Um, Champagne. I believe uh, they are finishing the Bible. Uh, don't quote me, because that's that's Shurana's job. Okay, but um, there's no timeline for this. You know, you asked me. I hope next year. Right, um, right. I'm not too sure when. But Thelma, right now we are looking at a shooting schedule around fall, depending right. on availability. There's still a few members to cast into the film.
0: Again. He- Do you ever get to cast yourself? Do you uh, have uh, cameos in the background? Do you uh, walk through a scene? No, 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 no. That's not my job. Yeah. Awesome. So we're talking, you're in Paris right now. So I'm I'm very jealous about that. I'll I'll let you get back to your croissants or whatever is going on there. But uh, really, uh, really great talking to you and then learning all about all this behind the scenes stuff.
1: Yeah. Nice talking to you. Thank you for having
0: me. All right. Have a great day. Bye. That's our episode, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Get a Real Job comes out every Tuesday. So be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you harvest your favorite podcasts. Leave us a review. Give us a share. do make big people. Go to entrepreneur.com for new episodes of this and to listen to our other great podcasts. Thanks.